just those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Adrian. Uh, why uh, there was a comment about uh, me being back around is that uh, myself and my family uh, have had uh, a sabbatical. So we've been allowed by Oasis a period of time off. Uh, so we had, uh, and I had, July through to the end of August, beginning of September, uh, not around us as a community, which uh, was really an opportunity. I wanted to just say a massive thank you to, uh, to everyone in Oasis that's allowed that to be the case. I think as a family, we've just had some great time together. Uh, I can honestly say that I've come back into work feeling genuinely refreshed uh, for what uh, is next in store for us as a church. And I want to thank you as a community just for allowing us some time out as a family, but also respecting that time out. I know I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago at the presenting, but for those of you who weren't around, I wanted to just say a huge thank you because within that two-month period, I can honestly say that no one within the Oasis community sought to uh, kind of make contact with us. They gave us space as a family, which was genuinely appreciated. Sometimes it was a little bit awkward. I remember uh, being at the park at the end of our roads with our kids, and um, as we were hanging out at the park, uh, a car went past. I've seen people from Oasis in. Sorry about the PA. It will kind of sort out as we talk. Um, and a car went past and some people in Oasis, and so I waved at them, and they kind of blanked me a little bit, and then slowed down, and then they unwound the window, and they said, we're not allowed to talk to you. <laughs> I said, no, no, you can. I felt like a leper, <laughs> genuinely like a leper. Um, but I was understanding the heart behind it, and we had a good catch-up. I wanted to say, start off this one, is it's the first Sunday back of me preaching. Thank you so much on behalf of my family and I for the space that you gave us, as it was much appreciated. What I want to do, though, is continue in this series uh, with our penultimate week, looking at the story of Abraham under this title of Faith for Fruit. Uh, if you're around last week, we got to this bit in the story where uh, it's all been building to, where we started off the story looking with this promise that, that God had made to this guy called Abraham, who was well on in his years, and to his wife said, look, you've never had a child, but through you, I'm going to give you an heir. An, an heir, a son, who's then going to be one who's going to cause, through generations to come, there to be a blessing from me. And so through you, through your heir, I'm going to bless all nations. And actually, those that are going to be part of that blessing are going to outnumber stars in the sky. And so Abraham believed God and set off on a journey with God to see how this was going to come about. And along the way, we've seen this story of how God starts to work about this miracle because the miracle was that his wife, Sarah, had never been able to have a child. Never. And if you're around last week, suddenly we got to the point where these guys were well beyond biologically a point at which they could have and conceive a child. And God did a miracle and causes them to have a son. And last week, we, we saw the story of, of Sarah, the mother, suddenly holding her baby that had been promised. And her being filled with joy that comes out with laughter. A pleasure at a God who is true to his promises. And as was often the case with the Bible, you go from this moment of absolute joy to suddenly the next thing that all changes. Because what happens is we're suddenly reminded of the fact that Abraham and Sarah tried to conceive, literally, through their own doing. You see, God had promised a miracle of a baby, 
and it just wasn't ever happening. So at some point they got frustrated and said, hey, maybe there's another way we could do this. Maybe there's another way we could fulfill what God had promised of an heir. And how we're therefore going to do it is, Sarah says, hey, why don't you take my slave girl, Hagar, and lie with her in order that you can have a son? And so they use their own abilities, they use their own initiative, they use their own effort to actually try and make the promise come true. And what happens next in the scene is when the full repercussions of where they've sought to do something their own effort and the outcome of that, and God, through his own initiative and promise, reveals what was always promised of a son comes into connection and the effects of what happens then. And so if you've got a Bible, I wonder if you could turn to with me. I'm actually going to read it from the screen because it's going to be very hard to hold a Bible and hold a microphone for me because I use my hands a lot and I'm going to drop the Bible. Um, and we'll read it. And so we're going to be in Genesis 21. We're going to read, uh, read from verse 8 uh, through to uh, 24, I think it is. So we'll read it from here. The child grew and was weaned. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that son whom Hagar the Egyptian had born to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly, because it concerned his son. But God said to him, do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also, because he is your offspring. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Bathsheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a bowshot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying. And the angel of, the, of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. Isn't life sometimes like this, that you go from a moment of immense joy to suddenly a scene that you can't quite make sense of? And what I want us to do this morning is look at this story. And in it, it's a story that we find everything seems to get overshadowed by all that's going on here. And so the joy that was there is, just seems to be lost. You see, all we have is a, a moment that starts off seeming like a celebration, a big party. That Isaac is now around three years old and his dad throws him a weaning party. Man, I don't know if you've ever done that for your kids. I don't remember having a weaning party for any of our three kids. Maybe they missed out. Maybe I failed them in this. But for Abraham, he made sure that Isaac had a massive weaning party. 
And so at age three, he calls all of his friends on and he has a big party. Whilst the party's going on, Isaac's stepbrother kind of starts to mock him. Now at this point, we've got to understand that Ishmael, Isaac's brother, by another mother, <laughs> I'll only do that once, um, is about 17 years old. He's had 14 years on the planet as an only child, thinking maybe it's going to be all right. Maybe he is going to be the one. And suddenly, God does something. And he has to live now in the shadow of a, a three-year-old who's having a weaning party. And that doesn't feel fair. And we discover that he's mocking his brother. We're not told exactly what he's doing, but he's just mocking. And the thing is, Sarah, Isaac's mum, sees this. And she can't believe it. And she suddenly realises that actually there's always going to be this question about who is the true son, who's the true heir. There was a promise here made by God, and we need to make sure it's clear from the beginning who it is the promise is for. And so she goes to Abraham, her husband, and says, look, we've got to deal with this. You need to get rid of the slave woman. Man, a derogatory way of referring to Hagar. Man, this was Sarah's plan initially. This was Sarah's friend she'd used. And it's got to this point, she can't even name it, the slave woman. And you've got to send her and her son, it's not your son, Abram, her son, away. And we find that Abram's just distressed. Things might not have been this way before. If you've done the journey of the story with us in Oasis, you'll know that we were here at the beginning of August when Vince and Sarah got to look at the story of where Abraham and Sarah realized that they've messed up. They've tried to do things in their own efforts in conceiving a son. And so they deal with it by saying, let's just get rid of her then. And God says, no, no, that's not how we're going to do with this. So Abraham, when he has Sarah come to him again, saying, look, we've got to get rid of her. He's not going to have been this way before. We're not doing that again. And yet God steps in and surprisingly says, do what Sarah says, because this is all part of my plan. And then we find this harrowing scene of a dad saying goodbye to his son and sending someone he'd considered his wife away. And sending them with minimum provisions, some water and some bread, and just letting them go. And then we see this harrowing scene of a, a mother and her son, not like a, a baby in arms. Sometimes you can read it and think, she's like, Karen, man, this kid was 17. She's holding on to him, but it gets a point where they've wandered around the wilderness for too long. The water's gone, the bread's gone, and the only thing that they can see happening is death. And Hagar's at this point of despair. A point of despair that says, actually, I'm just going to leave my son, who's so withered now, I'm just going to leave him there. I can't watch him die. I can't listen to him die, so I'm just going to go away. I'm going to watch from a distance. And at that moment, we find that God turns the situation completely around. And we're going to get to that part of the story where God turns the situation around at the very end of this morning. But before we get there, we need to understand some things. Because in this story, in its bleakness, in its seeming to overshadow any joy that we've just been encountering, that actually through what we're going to discover is actually reveal something again of just the wonder of this God, who's the God of Abraham, but also our God that we've been singing of this morning. 
A God that isn't unjust. A God that we can read this story and think, well, why, why did he do that? But actually what we're going to discover is actually this is part of God's plan because it's part of a bigger picture of revealing a God who's ultimately a God of love. And what we're going to discover through this is actually understanding that this story points through to a much bigger story. And then understanding in the big picture of what this story reveals, we're then going to zoom back and see how this God who is loving, revealing himself, works out even in this story. And though it had to go this way, though there was a consequence to Abraham and Sarah working things out in their own strength, God still broke in and revealed his grace, his unconditional love and acceptance. But we'll get there, I promise you, in this story by the end. But what I want us to start off with is here, is a sign. It's not a very nice sign, is it? It's a bit confusing sign because it's got arrows that point everywhere. For those of you over this side, it looks like this. But I want us to start with a sign. You see, in this story, we could just think, well, we've got these facts that are going on. And therefore, let's just dive straight into them and see what sense we can make of them for ourselves. But actually, as I've said, that often the stories that we get through the Old Testament are actually uh, pointing towards a much bigger story that's going on. And what we discover is this story that's going on of Hagar and Ishmael, of Sarah and Isaac, is actually pointing to a much bigger story that's revealing something about the wonder of God and his unconditional love and acceptance towards us. And it's a story that we see signposted in Galatians, a story that we see actually being shown and referred back to by Paul. So if you've got a Bible, what us to do is to start off in our signpost by going to Galatians. And so if you've got a Bible, we're going to jump through to Galatians 4. And in Galatians 4, we're going to read from 22 through to chapter 5, verse 1. And as you read this, you're going to think, man, this is now getting confusing. We started off with a story about Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and, and Hagar and Ishmael. Now we're kind of jumping through and we're going to now into the New Testament after Jesus lived, died and rose again and we're trying to work things out. And in this bit of scripture, we're then going to find these guys referred to and then Paul kind of saying, well actually, they're a sign of something else. And then we're going to find just a load of different Old Testament images used. But we'll get to that, I promise you, when we explain the passage. So let's just read it briefly. For it is written that Abraham had two sons. We've just read about that. One by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh. But his son by the free woman was born as a result of a divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. The women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free and she is our mother. Now you brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now, but what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share an inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. You see, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Now, in this, if you're anything like me, you can read this and think, man, it's Sunday morning, 
I'm kind of still waking up, and you've just read this bit out. I was trying to get my head around a God who'd send like a mom and her son into the wilderness, and now you kind of throw in this other bit of the Bible that seems to have all these other weird things saying that a mom is like a mountain, and a mom is like something going on in Sinai, and a, a mom's like a city called Jerusalem, and then another mom's like... Uh, Another Jerusalem that isn't actually physically here, but it's in heaven, and it's also a, a kind of new covenant as well. What on earth is he going on about? Well, I often think that, and I scratch my head and think, what on earth is Paul going on about? Because he's written it for a reason. It's referred to the story that we've just started off with for a reason. Because he just wants us to understand that what was going on for Hagar and Ishmael, for Sarah and Isaac, wasn't just their story. It was actually, in the end, pointing to a far bigger and greater story. It was pointing to actually the fact that there was going to be a day when one was going to come called Jesus, who was actually going to cause people to either be sons of Isaac or sons of Ishmael. And that was going to be figuratively speaking. Not, geneal- not by genealogy, but there was going to be a figurehead, and each will reveal something about what it would then mean to be part of either camp. See, what Paul was doing is he was writing to the Galatian church, and the Galatian church was struggling at this point in time because basically they'd had this amazing message that Jesus has lived, died, and rose again in order that everyone who sees the wonder of who he is can live and accept him and therefore accept all of God's love for them and all of God's peace, all of God's purpose, and God's promise of eternal life. And so they received that and thought, this is the best news ever. It transformed how they started to live their life. Because they said, we want to live with Jesus at the very centre of who we are. But then some other people had come along. And they said, all right, but, but it's great that you know about Jesus. But actually, you can't really call yourselves God's children. Because you kind of know Jesus because Paul's talked to you about him. But you haven't really got great heritage. Because what you need is Jesus and. And there's this group of people called the Judaizers who, who basically live with this tension of just continuously saying to people, yeah, you've got Jesus, but you need Jesus and. And unfortunately throughout human history, there's always been people who pop up and say, oh, you've got Jesus, but you need Jesus and. And these guys, in talking about Jesus and, they were saying, actually, you, you can have Jesus, but that's not quite enough. You also need some of the trimmings of what it means to be a Jew. What it means to be part of, like, the promised people. What it means to be part of Abraham's seed. And Paul, hearing about these individuals coming along to this church saying, actually, you need Jesus and, writes to actually correct that. And signposts something that they have all known about. Of a moment in history where actually it defined everything that then happened. Of two mums and two sons. And what Paul says is, he says, yeah, it's great that you talk about Abraham, but actually I want to say, it isn't just about the dad, it's also about the sons and mothers. And we need to understand and recognise what each mother and son is characterised by. And what it figuratively speaks of. And it's understanding that is then going to point out to you which son you're part of. So this is kind of dangerous words by Paul, and pretty insulting for any listeners who are trying to say Jesus and. And so what Paul does is he says, actually, there's those of you who say that you're God's children, but actually, you've got the wrong starting point. You've got the wrong son, because what you've done is you've said, actually, it's Jesus and. It's Jesus and what? It's Jesus and the old covenant. It's all to do with Jesus and the law. That's Mount Sinai. So you, you say, yeah, it's Jesus, but you've also got to still live with the Old Covenant. It's that you still want to live under the Ten Commandments. 
and everything else that we've introduced from that point on to make sure that you live within that. The fence within the fence within the fence. But not only that, but you also need the sign of that covenant, which is circumcision if you're a guy. So if you aren't circumcised, you better get to do it. Because it ain't going to work. You're not part of the family unless you've got these things. And then he says, also, you need to understand that you need to know that the big city, the key city, is still Jerusalem, this physical place. And unless that's the key place, because that's where God said he was going to dwell, actually, unless you like linked with that, you're not in the family. You're not part of God's children. And Paul writes and says, actually, no. That's not the case anymore. Actually, if you're living thinking that's the things that will make you right with God, those are the things that are going to include you into his family, you've lost the plot because that isn't where the inheritance lies. That isn't where the promise lies. That isn't what it means to be a child of God because that's still going back to what Israel is the product of. Human effort. And Paul says the only way this is going to leave is slavery. And so if you think that it's those things that are going to be enough, actually you're deceived and you're in slavery. He says, rather, you need to understand that it's about having a mother, figuratively speaking, like Sarah, who was free, who had a son, Isaac, who was a miraculous provision. It was all about God's initiative. God's initiative that's promised a new covenant, a new covenant that was through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. A new covenant that means that it's no longer about a physical city called Jerusalem, but rather that we're now part of the heavenly city of Jerusalem where God dwells. And that to be part of that lineage is actually to be one that's declared free because it's not about what you do. It's all about what God's done. And so Paul writes confusingly and says, actually, this story, Adrian Hurst starts off with, looking in Genesis, actually it's a signpost. It's a signpost of something that God was going to do throughout the whole, for the whole of creation. Of actually going to separate the whole of humanity into two sons. That are figuratively speaking, you see in Genesis. One that came through human effort. One that came through God's initiative. One that's going to be completely characterised by slavery. One that's going to be completely characterised by freedom. And Paul says, which one are you going to belong to? Because Jesus has come to set you free. So are you going to live free? Or are you going to live in slavery? So where does that therefore leave us? You see, we start with the signpost, and therefore we have to move. And we have to understand that there's therefore two different camps that we can find ourselves in. And this is true, actually, for everyone in the whole of this room. It's true in actual fact for everyone in the whole of creation. That either we can be found in slavery we can be found in chains or we can be found in freedom that we can be found with keys so what does it mean then to be with chains I say it's this it means that we're living basically living for with our own initiative so that actually everything we're about is down to how well I do everything I'm seeking to be is all, all about my own effort and in me living with my own effort, it actually causes me to live as a slave. Now at this point, you could be feeling totally offended. You say, well, I knew you guys would do this. I'm just trying to figure out where, where's God, is he real? And you immediately jump in and say, hey, you're just a slave. You, you've got it wrong. Just to hold on there before you feel like I'm judging you because I'm not judging you. I'm actually saying this is how I was. This is how we all were. And in actual fact, there's just an invitation through this to discover, well, 
If this is a reality, is there a different reality that we could live in? You see, the deal is this. If we're living thinking it's all down to us, all down to our effort, actually that will mean that our life, is li- we live with it in different ways it's characterised. See, ultimately it's going to be characterised in a way where we continuously live in fear and restlessness. Because actually what we're going to discover is to live under our own efforts in chains is it will chain us up with continuously feeling restless and continuously feeling fearful because we'll always be wondering am I good enough? Is what I've I've done being good enough? I'm not talking necessarily in relation to who God is I'm just thinking in terms of life that whatever we do, whatever job we do, whatever work we're in, however we're living our life, that continuously we're thinking, am I good enough? Is what I've done enough? In how we relate to other people, we're continuously thinking, how do they think of me? And what we find is it continuously causes us to live with that sense of restlessness. Because there's some moments where we feel like, man, everyone likes me. Man, what I've just done was good. And we think, ah, I feel good, and then if you're anything like me, something happens, someone does something, something I do. And suddenly that feeling of rest, suddenly that feeling of, hey, I'm all right, crumbles, and we suddenly wonder, am I? And what it causes us, therefore, to do is that restlessness, is it causes us ultimately just to live in fear. Live in fear of, are we good enough? Live in fear of, have we achieved enough? Live in fear of, what do others think of us? And it therefore means that we live a life completely chained up in insecurity. Paul says there's this other way to live. Because this way is away from that original story which is always promised, which is that actually if you live in your own efforts, you can be part of this camp that is through a son called Ishmael. It was all about human effort. That's what he's figuratively speaking of. We're going to get to the specifics in a moment of Ishmael, but at this point in time, he's figuratively speaking, Ishmael standing for human effort, and human effort would only ever chain you up and enslave you. Paul says there's this other news, though. There's this other way to live. There's a way to live with keys. So the wonder of keys is they were only designed to do one thing. That isn't to believe or lose. There often feels like that. Actually, keys were designed to undo that's the only point of a key. It was designed to unlock something. And if, if we've not just got one key, we've got multiple keys, it means that we've been designed and given something, that a tool that allows us to unlock everything. See, what it means that Jesus actually come through his life, death, and resurrection to bring us freedom is that it means that we get to be children of this other promise. We have to have this different son who's the, the captain of our camp, is a, a son of Isaac, where it's all about God's initiative. That was the point of Isaac. That's what he's the figurehead of. It's saying that actually Abraham and Sarah couldn't produce Isaac, only God could. And therefore, when we look at him and we say, Are hey, you part of that lineage? It means that actually the life that you get to live, you couldn't ever achieve. You've tried the effort one, all that ever did is it caught you up in chains. This one. Oh, this one, this promise is because it's God's initiative through sending his son in love to live, to die, to rise again that you would what? Be able to live free. Why? Well, because Jesus gives us freedom so that we can live an unlocked life. How? 
well, so we can live continuously knowing that the creator of everything loves us unconditionally. That the creator of everything accepts us unconditionally. You see, to live with keys means that we get to live free of ever wondering what others are thinking of us. It means that we get to live free of ever wondering, have I achieved enough? Because we've realized that the God who's the creator of everything, who is completely good, has declared that we are good enough. Good enough not just to be around him, but good enough that he would pour out all of his love towards you, towards me. And that in his love towards you, towards me, it means that he continuously accepts us. The point is that we need to be those, therefore, that live in this camp. Live in this camp knowing that it's like Isaac, the son, who's born in freedom because of God's initiative. And live the life through freedom. And so Paul then sums it up and says, well, we've got this story I'm referring back to that becomes a signpost of this, of two different ways that you could live. And the only way you can live in this one, in freedom, not slavery, is to accept who Jesus is and live in what he's promised you. So he finishes, and he can't but finish it in a way of referring back to this Old Testament stories and gets to Galatians 5.1 and says this. Should come back up, because I've done it off by heart. Should have done, shouldn't I? It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. See, Paul wants us to get to this point of understanding that to live with keys means that it transforms our whole world. It means it transforms in how we relate to God. That we don't relate to God by saying, man, am I able to come and be with God? Do I need to perform in some way to make sure that God's still okay with me? No, it means that we get to not relate to God through rules, but rather through relationship. Of coming thinking, man, God, you love me unconditionally. That means there's nothing I can do to make you love me any less, nothing I can do to make you love me any more. You accept me the same way. Therefore, I want to come and love you with everything I've got. I want to come and cause you to be at the centre of who I am because I want to live as you want me to. Not be out of duty, but out of a sense of you wanting my best. So it affects how we relate to God. It affects how we relate within ourselves because suddenly we're not living thinking, am I okay? Is this skin all right? No, so we come and say, actually, no, God, what has he said? He says that he loves me unconditionally. He loves me despite of what I look like. Which is good news for someone like me. I started going grey when I was 22. That's kind of desperate. God loves me no matter what. God doesn't care what colour trousers I have on. God just loves me. And that transforms how I think about me, not just my outward appearance, but my inward stuff. I'm suddenly thinking, actually, it's okay how I am. Because God's okay with how I am. It's not only transforming how I am within myself, it's also transforming how I am with others, how you are with others. Because suddenly we're not stunted by thinking, man, if I act like this to them, how are they going to be to me? Rather we live thinking, man, I'm loved unconditionally. I'm accepted unconditionally. I just wanted to draw attention to this point. Um, 
In all seriousness, I think this is a key one. Um, but I didn't actually do the alarm thing, though. Um, I'm loved unconditionally. I'm accepted unconditionally. Therefore, I live from that place of security. Are you hearing it yet? Because in me living from this place of security, it therefore means that I'm not looking to others to bring that security. I get it from God. But not only is it affecting kind of our relating to God, our relating with ourselves, our relating to others, it's also relating, affects our relating to the world. So it transforms how we seek to do our jobs, how we live within our communities, how we care for those around us, because we suddenly realize, I'm not here trying to get something, I'm not here trying to prove something, I'm rather here trying to offer something out of the deep sense of security I've got in being loved and accepted unconditionally. And the question I leave you before we try and rush to finish by looking at that story is this, are you living with keys or are you living with chains? Because that's the question. And even if you've accepted Jesus, the nuts thing is, is what Paul is warning us in Galatians 5.1, is you could have the keys in your pocket, and yet for some unknown, bizarre reason, you kind of live with chains still. And even though you could live completely free of what others think of you, completely free of just living under the understanding you're unconditionally loved and accepted, you somehow still put back on, I somehow still put back on, seeking to live in my own effort, thinking that's going to prove something. But surely, that's nuts. We weren't meant to live with chains. We are meant to live with keys. So what does that leave us then? I think it's got to leave us with a jug of water, surely. Because... Let's go back to that story, shall we? None of you remember anything apart from a jug of water this morning, I understand that, but if we leave it here, we could leave with a picture of thinking that Ishmael and Isaac's story was one that was just to benefit us in the future and, and kind of think, well, I've just got some questions about Ishmael then. How come God did that? See, God had to do it because actually Ishmael was a kind of outworking of what we've just seen. He wasn't what God wanted to bless. He didn't want God to say, actually, this is the way it's going to be. Actually, you can choose one of two ways. Either be in slavery, yeah, I'll be with that, or you can be in freedom, I'll be with that. No, he wanted to say, no, I'm always going to be in the freedom camp because that's where my initiative lies. But because God is a God of unconditional love and unconditional acceptance and mercy, there's no way in this story that God could leave a son to die. And so what we get in this story is Ishmael, who in his fault had mocked his brother. And as a consequence of that mocking of his brother, it caused him and his mum to be chucked out. Now, we can see with a big picture, we can see with hindsight, that's always a nice word, with hindsight, I can see God was in this. For Ishmael at this point, as he's wandering as a 17-year-old teenager, in the desert with his mum, with no water, no bread, he is desperate. His mum is despairing. Hope has gone. And he realises this as a repercussion of what he's done. And the only destiny he has at this point is death. And his mum is so convinced about it, she's just left him in a bush. And his mum is off. She's just waiting, crying, waiting to die. And it's in this moment, when desperation, in wilderness, that suddenly God appears. Why? Because he hears his cry. Ishmael, all he had to do in wilderness is cry out. 
And as soon as he cries out, the God who is rich in mercy, overflowing with love, hears. And then you find this amazing kind of interaction. I find sometimes you think, really, it's a bit of a black comedy at this moment. So you find this angel like calling out to Hagar, why are you crying? Don't you understand? My son's dying. I'm going to die. Yeah, but God's heard his cry. Well, how do I know that? Open your eyes. Why? There's a well. <laughs> you what? There's loads of water. There's hope. See, here's the deal. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know if sometimes you feel like you've made a decision that causes you to suddenly feel like, actually, I've just blown it. I feel like I'm just shriveling up underneath a bush and I'm reaching despair point. I don't know if it's that you found your life is just at this point where you feel like everything is gone. You just feel like, actually, if you'd known the cards I've been dealt, Adrian, I shouldn't use that analogy. You'd realise how, man, I'm just trying to make the best of it, but the best is pretty rubbish. Maybe it's at this point, you just think, life's just taking its turns, and I just feel like I'm in wilderness. See, it's in those moments we need to remember also that the story of Ishmael isn't just a story of a signpost, it's also a story of a reality of an individual that God cares for. A relative of an individual that God cares for so much that as soon as he cries out, God responds. And whenever we're in wilderness, whenever we feel like we've made decisions that actually have gone contrary to what we thought God would want for us, whenever we start to choose to live in chains, whenever we've, yet maybe we've never chosen to live for God, maybe we are in chains. Maybe at moments it feels like life has overtaken us and we're just in wilderness. God is as close to reaching out to us as we are as quick to just crying out to him. But sometimes what it needs is for us to cry out. That's what Ishmael shows us. And in that moment when we cry out, God is quick to rush to meet us and to come and provide the water that we need. Water is such an amazing statement because water does one of two things three things. It refreshes, it restores, and it brings life. And that's what God wants to do for us. I don't know what it means for you this morning, and because I'm back with five minutes running late, so please apologize to kids workers when you get there, but I do feel the need to respond. I know what it is next for you. I know what it's next for me. Maybe it's for you that you've come this morning and you say, well, Asian, I'm just on this journey of trying to explore who God is. And you, you freak me out a little bit. It's great to get a bit of an overview of the whole of the Old Testament and a bit of the New Testament. I still scratch my head as to what it all looks like. But when we talk about slavery and freedom, or living just thinking is never quite good enough, and a life that I could live knowing that I'm completely loved and accepted, that just seems like something worth exploring. And for you, I'd invite you to come and explore it with us. We run a course called Alpha, which will be starting in a few weeks' time, that just is designed to allow people to ask big questions about big things that matter, that are worth exploring, of where God can come and reveal himself to you to offer you a brand new life. For others of us, it may be that actually we're on a point where we say, actually, I want this. I want it for myself. And maybe this morning you need to talk to someone and say, I want to receive this life. For others of us, it's that we need to receive again and say, God, for some reason I know that you've given me keys, but I seem to have just chosen to live in chains. And today needs to be a day where we throw chains off 
as I got on and lived with keys, living just knowing that you love and accept me unconditionally. And if that is where the starting point is, everything can be lived through. And for others of us, maybe it's that today we just come and just say, do you know what? I just need to cry out. In the place I'm in, I come and I cry out to you, God, because I know you're the God who heard Ishmael. I know you're the God who'll come and hear me. Shall we stand? Can we all just close our eyes? Just because of time, I want us to feel pressured, but I do want us to, I guess, just quicken our response to God. And just if you're, you feel like you're in the camp in terms of wanting to receive for the first time just this invitation for freedom, that maybe you say, no, I know that Jesus is there, but I know that I just live with chains. And this morning I want to be free and live with keys. Or maybe you're in that place where you just say, I just need to cry out. I want to do a really brave thing with everyone's eyes closed. I want you in a moment, I want to count through, and then you're going to put your hand up and say, this is me, I'm in this place. And I'm going to pray for everyone, and then I'm going to ask you, if you put your hand up, to then come forward, not as a way of judgment, not as a way that something special at the front, but rather as just a way that we can have others stand with you and pray for you. And those who've not come forward have got kids, are then going to go and get their kids. Uh, if you've got kids and you want to go forward, please ask you to get someone to go and get your kids who's allowed to, just because they'll release our kids' workers. But I'm just going to ask you now, I'm going to count to three, and if you'd like to respond, put your hand up. One, two, three. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. God, I thank you so much for just the way the stories in the Bible just continuously sew together to provide us this vibrant picture to look at. And God, I pray, would we be a church that is continuously revealing what it is to live in your freedom and revealing your freedom and calling others into that freedom. And I pray for those today who've responded. I pray, God, would you increase your freedom. I pray for those who just know they need to cry out. I pray, God, would you come quickly to meet them, to bring refreshment, life, and restoration. I ask this for your glory. Amen. Okay, if you did put your hand up, if you want to come forward, I'd love to pray for you. If you've got kids, please can I ask you to run, uh, just so it will enable your kids to be picked up, uh, not as late as I've made it. Okay, cheers. Thank you, though. Tea and coffee served. See you next week, hopefully.